Hi, I'm Daryl Urbanski, and welcome to the Best Business Podcast. My mission is to help create 200 new multimillionaire business owners. How? You'll do better when you know better. In my interviews, you'll hear from self-made millionaires, seven-figure business owners, authors, and world-class experts sharing how they did it so you can too without experiencing the same obstacles they did. Now, if you like this interview, please share it with a friend you think will benefit. They'll appreciate it, and I will as well. You can also connect with me on social media. Look for Daryl Urbanski, D-A-R-Y-L, Urban Ski, U-R-B-A-N-S-K-I, and add me so we can be friends. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy what I've prepared for you right here, right now. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always, and today we are joined by a special guest and friend, Lamar Tyler. Lamar, along with his wife, Ronnie, successfully leveraged social media to move the couple's website, blackandmarriedwithkids.com, from a small personal blog to an international brand with over 500,000 Facebook fans and followers. Lamar has also directed and produced five full-length documentaries which deal with the challenges and triumphs of marriage in the black community. These have been screened to sell out crowds nationwide. Among the recognition received for his work in 2012, uh, Lamar and Ronnie were named one of Ebony Magazine's Power 100 couples for the second year in a row. The Power 100 is a list of the top 100 movers and shakers in the black community. This list also includes President Barack Obama, Beyonce and Jay-Z, and Tyler Perry among its ranks. In 2014, the couple were selected as finalists for Black Enterprises Family Business of the Year, and in 2015, they were nominated as finalists for the Infusionsoft Small Business Icon Award. I've asked them to join us today to share some of his inside secrets to building a massive following and growing a successful business. Thank you so much for joining us today, my friend. How are you doing? I'm doing excellent, I mean, and thank you for having me on. I'm really privileged to be here. Yeah, well, it's an honor and it's a pleasure to have you here. I'm, I know for you, you know the journeys and the ups and downs inside out, but you've, you've really accomplished something phenomenal. You've got a massive following. You've got some great feature films that are uh, under your belt, and you've, you know, you've, you're, you're doing it. You're out there changing people's lives. So for you, you, you know, definitely it's an honor and a pleasure to, uh, for us to be able to share and learn from you because there's a lot of value and insight that comes from the experience and what you've done. So um, again, just thank you for your time. I know you could be with your wife or your kids and just you know doing what you got um but thank you for coming here to share with us so now i wanted to ask because how did you even get into this business you know how did you even get started did you come from an entrepreneurial family what like how did you even get into yeah running a business you know i didn't necessarily come from an entrepreneurial family but i think entrepreneur uh, has been something that's been in my blood <laughs> since I was a kid. I was uh, doing a Facebook status the other day, and I talked about the fact that I started my first business when I was in sixth grade with my buddy, uh, Greg, <laughs> up the street, right? We were classmates, and uh, we had two lawnmowers, and we said, all right, we're going to tackle <laughs> this neighborhood. We're going to tackle our neighborhood. We're going to dominate. Right. We're going to get as many houses and lawns as we can. Um, I had the paper. Greg was an artist. So you you combine the resources Mm. and the uh, creativity. You know, we made flyers. We canvassed the neighborhood. I mean, but since then, I've had multiple different businesses. And, you know, um, while I had those businesses, I didn't have an investor. I didn't have a trust fund. So I worked my nine to five um, during the way over the years and and throughout the process. I loved how you talked about um, being on a journey. Mm. You mentioned the word journey. That's definitely what it's been. As I, you know, uh, did some things that worked, did some things that didn't work over the years. But when we tapped into BlackAndMarriedWithKids.com, we tapped into the documentary films that we do now. We tapped into really learning how to build and leverage an audience. That's when things took off. Mm. Yeah, and I love that because, you know, we've had a lot of guests talk about that. In fact, very recently talking about, um, like, really finding out the triggers of your audience and your community. And just really, because a lot of people, they've got a product or a service to sell, but they're not necessarily dialed in with their community. But for you to grow up, you know, a following of 500,000 people, you have to be, like, ringing that bell pretty hard. I mean, you can't fake and lie having that many. I mean, I know people that have paid (laughs) and they've got, like, a million followers on their fan page. But when they post, no one engages. When you post, people engage. There's real people on the other end of that. So, like, how how did you resonate? Like, I guess, can you talk a bit about that? Like, if you were to start over again, what are some of the like pillars or the tenets that I guess helped you grow to be to to build such a, a massive following? Sure. Well, one of the first things, right, when we started, we didn't even necessarily start as a business. We started as a blog. So it was just a blog that my wife and I we created in the the corner of our bedroom in Waldorf, Maryland, right, a small town um, just south of Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. 
So when we started that blog, the reason it worked so well is because we were speaking to an underserved community. And we knew the community was underserved because we were a part of it. Mm. And, uh, you know, there's so much negativity on TV and the movies and in the paper and the press about uh, marriage and relationships in the African-American community that we said, hey, we know there are other couples that love being together, right? We know there are um, other fathers that are in the home holding it down for their kids and oftentimes someone else's kids as well. But they never get the recognition. They're never talked about and they're often just ignored as if they don't exist. So we said we'll create this platform, blackandmarriedwithkids.com, to um, uplift, encourage, and promote marriage and parenting in the black community. And when we did that, people instantly flocked to it. And like I said, you know, we were a, a part of this void. We knew it was underserved. We knew everyone was ignoring it. And we knew there was a great opportunity there. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we had couples that came to us and couples said, hey, you know, um, nothing that I see on, te- on TV represents who I am. So thank you for creating this platform. Mm-hmm. We had singles that came to us and said, hey, my parents have been married for 30, 40, 50 years. But you never see stories like that represented in the news, right? All right. I see is the exact opposite. Right. So thank you. And it really became more than just a blog. It really morphed into a movement. Mm-hmm. And you talk about, okay, like what are some of the, the pillars and things that we would, we would look at going again if we did it all over? It was definitely just, you know, finding... Um, an audience, like I said, that was underserved, that was ignored, um, that was hungry, hungry for a different representation, um, um, hungry for something else other than what they've been offered. And I think oftentimes, like a lot of us, whether it's a cultural connection, whether it's an interest, whether it's a hobby, there are different things that we're interested in, right, these niches that are, are, are separate from the mainstream that are often overlooked, and there are opportunities there, right? I guess those are the, the riches and the niches that we often hear about. That's right. There are riches and niches, bitches. That's that's how it goes, right? <laughs> <laughs> so that's awesome. So for you, were there any major challenges or milestones that you had to overcome on your path or like sure. to building this empire? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that definitely were, right? Because like I said, as we started, we started as a blog. And when we started in December 2007, like back then there were like rumors of people like making money online, but it really wasn't as prevalent as it is today, right? Um, right. So, you know, we said, we'll, we'll start this thing off. It was something that we were passionate about, but we said starting from the beginning, we'll structure it as if it is a business. So that way, if it grows and, and things do take off, we won't really just made another job that we hate doing. Um, but we'll have it structured properly. So when we talk about um, milestones and, and mile markers, I guess, along the journey, um, I remember just, you know, getting it up and starting with no audience at all, right? And starting those early days of uh-huh. just getting the word out and sharing with people. I mean, social media wasn't as prevalent as it is today right. at all. So that was uh, during the MySpace days. Mm. <laughs> so right. in, in, in MySpace, I mean, it's just like a whole nother piece. So I only want to go down the MySpace trail. I was about to go down that trail. I said, I just want no, to stay but away from it. Fine. But I, I think it's important to mention because it's something that people that are listening now, what I think is important to stand out is that things change. And that's yes. like you started on MySpace, but that's not where you are today. And you might not even be on Facebook in 10 years from now because it's not yeah. the tactic. It's not the tool. It's the overlying strategy. And that's, you know, you've obviously mastered the strategy and the principles and the, of, of bringing a community together. So. And, and that's definitely it, right? Because it was um, some core things we do. Of course, you know, always focusing on creating the content that our audience really wants and that they, they really need, right? So that they come back to us, they're hungry. Um, we're finding out what that challenge is. We're, we're um, providing uh, a solution to, you know, the issues and challenges that they face in their lives as it comes to their marriages. So that's always important. And that's something that transcends beyond whatever that actual platform is. So like you said, we started in the MySpace days and then Facebook came up and, you know, we took off to the races on Facebook, but then Facebook started tweaking the edge rank algorithm. Right. <laughs> so right. You know, we went in the early days of Facebook where everyone would see our page and every time, you know, you liked the page, it would say, hey, you know, Daryl has liked this page and that would have explosive organic growth. Uh-huh. To um, you know, getting to where we are today, where organically probably only uh, a small percentage of our half million right, yeah, we were, you know, people we were audience talking about that see before. Post. January first, two thousand fourteen, it was like Facebook just cut everyone off. It's like before when you would make a post, a hundred percent or eighty percent of your followers would see your message, but yes. afterwards, it's like ten percent, twenty percent. They want you to pay to boost your post so everyone else can see it. That sh- really showed us like the first time. Facebook really made a strong change like that. That really showed us what we already knew, that the power of our business depended on the size of our list. Mm. And, you know, I think entrepreneurs hear that a lot, but they can't really 
um, you know, correlate to how does that really help my business a lot of times um, if they're not using it, if they're not actively using that list. But with us, I mean, we literally at that point, the majority of our income came from ads and came from agencies and brands that we work with and came from ad banners. Mm-hmm. And it was all about page views and impressions. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, literally Facebook in one day flipped the switch yep. <laughs> and, and tanked. You know, we we got the majority of our traffic from Facebook because our page was so big and so large, but they literally tanked all the traffic to our site in one day with one change. But luckily, we had an email list with, um, you know, I remember at that time, it probably was, was, you know, 20, 30, 40,000 people on it that we could still keep sending articles to. Mm. Um, And then we started to make a transition from saying, hey, let's stop focusing on those agencies and brands. Let's really focus in on serving the people that we should be our readers, and let's do a better job of creating products and services that fulfill their needs. And since then, we've transitioned from 80 to 90% of our uh, revenue being generated from ads and campaigns from brands and agencies to 80% of that revenue being generated directly from our actual customers, which puts us in the driver's seat of how we generate income, yeah. when we generate income, and how much we actually can make. Yeah, and it gives you so much more control in your business. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. That's huge. And I want to just highlight a couple of key things that you mentioned here. <clears throat> so first of all, um, you know, you and your wife recognize early on that if you treat your if you treat it like a hobby, it'll pay you like a hobby. If you treat it like a business, it'll pay you like a business. So you began with the end in mind. You said, let's structure this like a business in the beginning in case it grows. You weren't really sure, but you were doing a test. And I love that because especially with how flexible things are online, you know, you can open up a business any day. Like it's so easy to open up multiple businesses online um, yes. versus like if it was a brick and mortar, you got to pay a sign a five-year lease. You got to get all the furnish the place. You got to get a sign made. You got to get a business, you know, all this other crazy stuff. So I love that you guys were like, look, we're just going to do a test, but we're going to treat it like a business up front. We're going to begin with the end in mind and that you really just focused on catering to the audience that you were there to serve. You were just creating a ton of free content just to help those people. I really, really, really love that. And another key thing that you mentioned was that you noticed that the power of your business depends on the size of your list. Can you talk about that a bit more? Sure. You know, I definitely can. And before I even go into that, I think you hit it on the head because the cost um, and, and the barrier to entry is so low with so many web-based businesses. Like, there's really no reason for you not to treat it like a business from the start. Mm. And, and my wife and I, we talk to a lot of um, early-stage entrepreneurs, right, that are just trying to make that transition mm-hmm. or that are working a 9-to-5 and trying to figure out how they can leave the 9-to-5 that they hate and really do the work that they're passionate about and build a business around it. But what we often tell them is that, hey, like, you can't build an empire on free stuff. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, because um, there's so many entrepreneurs who want to use like the free version of MailChimp, right? And the, right. the, the free uh, web hosting service and the free website building service and, and their business reflects all of those things. Uh-huh. So you really, like you said, have to position yourself correctly from the beginning for growth um, so that when you do grow and when you do build this business, you really have the systems in place to really take it and scale it to the next level. So I, I just, I just love that. Actually, I, I love that so much. I forgot what the question was. <laughs> Could you tell yeah, me what no, the question no. was? It's funny because I'm, I'm just actually writing that. I'm a writer downer, even though I got my computer in front of me. It's like, because even if I never look at my notes again, just because you have to think it while you write it, it's like it just gets you in your yes. brain better. That's why I recommend all our listeners have pens and paper when we go through this. So I was just writing down, if you use free tools, your business will reflect it. Um, you know, And I think that's a good point. Like You can start off with the free tools in the beginning, but it's that, again, you treat your business like a hobby, it'll pay you like a hobby. If you treat it like a business, it'll pay you like a business. And I wrote that down because I'm notorious for you know outsourcing to overseas and not necessarily getting the most qualified people. And it's just funny because you said that there was a couple of pain points where I've had to redo things because it didn't have the look and feel I wanted. And if I had just done it right the first way. Um, so that was just something personal there. But and at the same time, as you grow and your cost increase, it's it's really a sign of success as well. Right. I mean, it mm. sometimes it hurts to have to go from, you know, this level of the platform to the next level. Yeah. But it's a sign that you're actually doing something right. And hopefully as you grow, the actual our, our revenue is actually growing along with you. Mm. Yes, very, very true, which kind of brings us into the other question that what I said. So you're talking about the power of your business depending on the size of your list. Yes. I asked if you could talk about that a little bit more, like lists and list building and different types of lists, at least as far as your experience has, has been. Definitely. Yeah. Right. So when we talk about um, lists, I mean, just so many times, like having that built in list and audience has really saved our business. And we wouldn't be here today if we hadn't had a home base, which is our website in a list. And I know you and I, before we talked about the importance of having that home base. I mean, we have over half a million people on Facebook. And since we work with 
um, alongside and, you know, with great friends, a lot of online influencers, a lot of people we meet have an amazing audience on Twitter or an amazing audience on Instagram mm -hmm. or maybe it's, you know, Periscope now, whatever the new latest and greatest thing is, but they're not really uh, setting up a mechanism to actually attract those people back with lead magnets or opt-ins or some way to capture that information right. so that when Facebook becomes the next MySpace and it goes away, they have that information from their customers and, and from their leads captured so that they can still move on with their business. Right. And like I said, you know, whether it was Facebook changing uh, edge rank algorithm, hmm. whether it was, um, you know, how much we actually got paid and the CPMs and things like that going down and lowering over the years. Uh -huh. Right. That happened as well because people were no longer clicking on ads. Uh -huh. And the only way they wanted to pay us a high CPM is if we put you know, pre-roll for the video. We got to add that pushes down on the page and stays up for 30 seconds and all these things that really just interfere with the user experience when they come to your website that we didn't want to do. Mm. So, you know, we really had to focus on, okay, not just getting people to the site, but what can we do to capture them when they come? Right. And also looking at how they actually use the site, which has changed over the years. So when we first started, Early, you know, in, in the, you know, close to the bl early blogging days, a lot of people would come to our site every day, you know, and it was a community. They would leave comments every day and we knew who each person had commented was. If they had a website, you know, we would check out their website. And it really was like people coming every day to your doorstep and saying, hey, what do you have for me today? Like what's new and what's fresh? Mm. But but with the rise of social media, it's great because now we can connect directly with so many consumers, mm. customers, leads, readers, because there's no middleman involved. Mm. But the other thing is, they're bombarded with so much content that the days of them just coming to us and checking on us every day is over. Ah. So we have to actually make sure we're doing a great job of marketing that content and getting it in front of them and realizing also now that we just, not only we get it in front of them, but we're doing interrupt marketing, right? Like they're doing something totally different. They're not looking for our content. They're, you know, laughing at videos. They're finding out what's going on with their family. And then all of a sudden, an article from Black and Married with Kids pops up in their Facebook stream. Mm -hmm. So they click on that and they come to us. And even now, when they leave the com when they um, leave comments and they want to have a conversation, they don't necessarily leave that conversation on our site, right? right. They'll, they'll come from Facebook, read the article, then go back to Facebook and leave a comment in the thread on Facebook. So really just how people interact and use our site is always changing. It's always totally different. The platforms are always changing. Mm. But what has to stay consistent is the fact that we have a home base of presence and the fact that we do our due diligence to make sure we not only attract those people but capture them so we can do the next step, which is actually making sure we convert those people from readers into customers. I love that. Let's talk about that for a second because that was really good because you've, you've got a massive following and obviously, like you said, you had a blog and there used to be this whole like inbound marketing buzz craze that was around back in the day. And I'm a big fan of inbound marketing. I think inbound marketing is great. Inbound marketing, for those that aren't familiar with it, it's essentially putting out great stuff out there, building a great reputation and just letting business trickle into you. And that's great and it works really well, um, but it's not scalable at the same way that interrupt marketing is where you can just pay to put your ad in front of people and you've got something that is palatable that appeals to a certain part of the audience like so what i love about you is you're you're telling me is like we're using both so i love that like and these are key key things i mean we talked about this before i mean youtube if you guys go to archive.org this is a site you can use that can show you the history of any website it basically takes screenshot of all websites on the internet and kind of keeps a catalog of them over time you can go and put in youtube and go very back to the very first screenshot which is april 28 2005 and YouTube used to be a dating site. That's what YouTube started as. It's I'm a male or female seeking everyone, males, females, whatever, between this age and that age. And YouTube was supposed to be your channel where you upload videos of you and your life and your dog and whatever you got going on so you can kind of get to know each other. And so I love that you say, like, the platforms will change and that. But what you guys have is you've got a home base. You've got your own products and offers. And then you're not afraid to spend money to meet people wherever they are and bring them back into your world. World. And I think that's really important because like you said, you've got friends that are really powerful influencers with huge Twitter followings. But just like happened January 1st, 2014, Twitter could just make a change overnight, flip the switch on you. And suddenly you had 500,000 people that you could access all the time. Now you only get a fraction of those and you have to work harder to get in front of them because someone else we call Dan Kennedy calls that a toll booth position, right? You have to pay to access your own audience. So that's a great, 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 great tip. People listening to this, please understand the internet 
changes so fast, so quickly. You need to have a home base. You need to be pulling people into where you're at. But at the same time, like Lamar's saying, is you got to be willing to go out and meet them where they are. So that's yes. huge. Yeah, that's really, really good. So so what's some of, some of your outbound marketing tactics? We just talked about inbound marketing. I think it's kind of an easy concept. People can understand, you know, just be a good person, give away good free content, wait for good things to come back, kind of karma. But how does the outbound marketing part work for for your business model? Sure. You know, well, for us, it's all about, you know, trying to meet the needs of uh, the couples and singles who come to the site. Because what we realized by looking at the data is we had a lot of singles that come to the site as well who desire to be married, right? They want to find out what marriage is all about. So, you know, for us, it actually starts there. It starts at looking at the data and doing surveys with our audience and with our readers when they come to the site, doing surveys with customers, but also digging into Google Analytics and saying, okay, what type of content is really spurring the most engagement? It's getting the most page views, right? It's the most shareable when it comes to social media because people are inherently telling us what it is they're interested in. All we have to do is pay attention. Like the, the data is there, the numbers are there. It's like, what are the main topics? So we'll look at okay, you know, people are coming to the site and they're interested in uh, communication. They're coming for help around um, infidelity or intimacy or, uh, you know, money and and marriage and things like that. So then we'll just look and say, okay, um, what type of uh, products can we create? Kind of meet those challenges, fill those needs and help people have a transformation in that area of their lives. And what we quickly realize is that the better job we do of serving our customers, the more money we make, the faster the business grows, you know, the more people we can impact and affect. So it really just boils down to service and really finding out like, how can we serve you? How can we serve you? So um, like I said, first thing we do is we look at the data and we look at what are the things that they're already telling us they need help with, they're coming to us for, and the resources they're trying to get from us that we may or may not already have in place. Then, you know, it's all about creating great content. It's all about creating a lead magnet so we can actually capture and attract people, whether they are checklists, whether they are PDFs. We have a a free four-part video series that does very well for us. Um, And then, like I said, making different products as well, like our films. You know, when we actually create our documentary films, it's great because Austin tells people, like, I'm not a filmmaker in the traditional sense of it's just 100 percent creative. I make films the same way we make content for the website. I look and I say, okay, like, what are the things that our audience is coming to us for? And then we actually create documentary films around those actual topics. Then we sell Mm -hmm. and we market those films. So, I mean, whether it's a film, whether it's an ebook, an audio book, a membership site that we have, I mean, everything kind of goes through the same process of finding out like what's the need, how can we fill that need? And then once we, you know, come up with a, uh, um, some type of product or service to fill that need, then how can we get it in front of the right people? I love that. I love that. So I love this. You're not assuming, you're not sitting in a closet trying to guess what your audience wants. You're not some guru that you already just know. I mean, you did say at the beginning, and this is kind of why I want to point this out. You said that like you and your wife were your target audience at the beginning, and that's kind of yes. what you designed for. But now you get data. And so I just want to clarify this because there's no guesswork in this. It's very straightforward, it sounds like. Like you actually just look at the data. You're looking at page views. So you've got a hundred different articles. A couple now you've got probably thousands and thousands but you know at one point you started you got hundreds of articles and you're just looking at your google analytics you're looking at page views which articles are people looking at the most what are people sharing the most and then you're actually surveying your people so you're just asking them hey what do you want to know about what you know what do you need help with and then you're just delivering that to them is that correct you know, that's totally correct, Daryl. And the beauty of it is, like, we do this with everything we do. So we did a cruise in 2014. We're doing another one this year in 2016. We did a cruise in 2014, and we took uh, roughly maybe like 80 or 90 couples uh-huh. um, to a few different countries, right? Out, out from Florida to Mexico and um, I can't even remember. It was like a few different countries, right? It was, it was an amazing trip. But the thing is, we use the same exact model to figure out how we would do the cruise. We sent out surveys to our audience, right? We said, how many sessions do you want to have while you're on the ship? You know, what do you want to actually be taught at those sessions? How much free time do you want to have? Um, When we get together as a group, you know, what is it that you want to learn or what is it that you want to do or what are the biggest things you want to take away from the trip? And then we crafted the entire cruise itinerary and what we did around that. And guess what? People loved it. But it wasn't a surprise to me that they loved it because we essentially just gave them everything that they asked asked for. Right. (laughs) Well, I think a lot of people, like you said, just assume and sit back and say, okay, well, people like stuff like this and people like stuff like that. But, you know, when you start to dig into the data, when you start to do surveys, when you start to look at the analytics, because even oftentimes people may say they want one thing, but what their actions actually show you is something totally different. So you have to look Mm -hmm. at the numbers. 
I love that you said that because that's actually a really important thing. I know uh, we actually had a guest here, Glenn Livingston. He's sold over 20 million in consulting services to the Fortune uh, 100. And that was one of the things that they used to do is focus groups. And with the focus group, they keep you there four to six hours, right? Show you all these different products that they're thinking of launching, right? And make you jump up and down, jump through hoops. But at the end, they're like, all right, well, thank you for all for participating. You know, Judy at the door has got your check. Uh, we just actually found out from the higher up so that you're actually able to take home one of these products with you if you like. So just go ahead, grab whichever one you want off the table, pick up your check and just thank you guys for participating. And that was the actual test. You know, everything else they were getting kind of like other data, but in the focus, focus group, people are telling you what they think you want to hear, right? They're telling you their opinion. They're not just reacting. So at the very end, they're calm, they're relaxed. They've done all this. They think it's done. They're like, oof, the test is done. Then when they get to see the five different products on the table, they get to pick which one they want. That was the real test. So I love that you pointed that out. Um, can you maybe talk a little bit, though, about the surveys? Like, how many answers do you need to get? Do you have, like, where, how do you collect the data? Is there certain types of questions you ask? Because I know that there's some people here, they're like, all right, what, what, what do I ask in my survey? And how many answers do I need before I decide that that's a significant, you know, result? Sure. So um, it kind of depends on what, you know, what exactly we're surveying before we say, okay, and the size of our audience. So as the size of our audience has changed, uh -huh. then, you know, we look for kind of like a different percentage that we need to get back in order for it to be valid. Uh -huh. But, you know, what we always start with, is we always start with demographic data because we want to know who are the people that we're engaging with for our customers, the people that make, you know, come onto a trip like the cruise or the people that are are joining our membership site. So, you know, we want to know um, the ages and do they have kids and, and, you know, what is the household income and things like that. And then that's also information that helps us when we do still work with, you know, brands or agencies or we go after sponsorship dollars. That's all the information that they want to know from a corporate side. So that helps us there as well. But then, like I said, we want to really dig into, okay, you know, what are the biggest challenges that you face? Um, like I said, you know, we already know like around marriage, there are certain core issues that most people gravitate towards they're having problems with. So in like whatever it is that you do, whatever your industry or business is, like what are those kind of main issues, right? Maybe like the main top 10 issues. And we had like, like I said, for us, it be, might be communication and infidelity and things. But then we had some of those others that may not be it's popular talked about as much because we didn't want to assume. And then we still may have like an other where they can fill in the blank and kind of type and tell us what it is that they want or what it is that they need. Uh -huh. um, then like to say, depending on what it was, we just would look okay and say, okay, what's an acceptable sample size based on the size of our audience? Um, so, you know, on our website, we might do, you know, 10 to 15 or 20,000 organic readers every day. So, you know, getting a survey with 100 people really doesn't make sense. Right. So we may need at least um, a, a few thousand for it to make sense and actually say, okay, this is like a decent sample size to show us, all right, you know, this is what people on the site are actually thinking. This is what they're going through. And then, you know, the, the greatest thing I love about surveys, of course, is the fact that we can take the language, the real language that they mm -hmm. use, and then use that language when we come up with sales and marketing copy and things like that. And a, a great example of that, you know, someone's probably saying, okay, what does that look like? How does that, what does that sound like? We would actually consult with a lot of other marriage organizations early on. So as we kind of grew and, and we were kind of growing, um, President George W. Bush was in office and he had a lot of federal grant money mm -hmm. tied into uh, something called healthy marriage initiatives. And there were nonprofits that were getting millions and millions of dollars to do free uh, marital trainings in their community to help keep couples and keep families together. But the problem was, they didn't know how to market. They didn't know how to talk to people. Ah. And they would, you know, go out and say, okay, we're having a training this weekend on healthy marriage and how you can have a healthy marriage. But, you know, what we would tell these organizations when we talked to them is that I've never heard a couple say, well, you know, I'm just so frustrated because my marriage isn't healthy. Right. <laughs> you know, right. I've never heard somebody say, well, you know, if we could only get our marriage healthy again, then we could keep this thing together. I mean, we couples say, I want to stop fighting. I want to stop fussing. Right. right. Like, like, I feel like hitting you upside the head, you know, <laughs> right. um, you know, I mean, like, like we don't trust each other. We don't have sex anymore. Right. Like, uh -huh. like the trust has been broken and we don't know how to get it back. So, you know, when you do those surveys, that's the best opportunity for you to really find out the language that your audience uses so that you can actually in turn use that language when you actually market and try to reach out to those very same people. Really well said. Yeah, I love that. Um, anyone that's listening to this, if you're interested in learning more about surveys, there is another call that we did with Ryan Levesque, who's a survey funnel formula guy. And in the second interview, he talks a bit about his system. I just think that's so powerful, Lamar, because what I really love is like you've built a really powerful, successful business with a huge following that's changing lives. Like literally, you're changing the lives of the parents, yeah. which is changing the lives of the children, changing lives of their community. And you just did it just by talking to people and just saying, hey, what do you need? Let me get that for you.
Now, I want to talk about the other thing. You talked about the term lead magnet. And if anyone listening here isn't familiar with that term, can you just talk about what is a lead magnet? Sure. So for us, it's just something of value that we give in exchange for, uh, we always like the first name and email address because I like to be able to reference people by their by their first names when we actually uh, send out emails or marketing materials or whatever it is that we have. So like that's the bare minimum we need is the first name and email address. So wow. uh, when it comes to our website, like what probably one of our largest lead magnets is we have a, a four-part video series on how to have an unbreakable relationship. Wow. So, you know, people, they'll, they'll opt in, give us their first name and email address in exchange for that or um, if they have communication issues, we have a, a free communication checklist. Or just, like I said, different ways we can provide value up front. So when you were talking before about having a home base off of Facebook and Twitter and these other sites, is did you mean your website or did you mean your email list? Yeah, really was talking about our website, right? Some place that we can push people from so they can actually come from Facebook and come back to us and learn about us and connect with us. But once they get to that page, I mean, I really look at it as a three-step process, right? The first is being able to attract people from the internet, from search, from social media, back to our site. Then once we attract them, we have to actually capture those people and get their first name and email address. And then once we capture them, then we can begin the journey to making them a customer. Got it. Got it. Got it. So I love that because once you've got their email, their list, you can actually import that to other social media. So it doesn't really matter if Facebook disappears tomorrow. I mean, it would because of the time and energy, but yeah, at the sure. core level, you still got this asset. You've got your website visitors. You've got any paid ad pixels you're building. Plus you got this email database that you got that you can email them and say, Hey, you know, everyone's was on Facebook. We're actually on Periscope now or right. You've got more than one way to get in touch with people. That's huge. And the lead magnets, the lead magnets was just some sort of bait. It was, you mentioned checklists, eBooks, the four free video series, something for them to just exchange. Hey, this is my contact info that way, you know, for some sort of value that way you can have that asset, which gives you some sort of protection in your business from, you know, Facebook, just flipping the switch on you again. So, it does, Darren. If I could actually add, like the importance of, of that for our business. This is something I tell like a lot of early stage entrepreneurs again, because so many people get so stuck on creating like that perfect thing. And, and they say, okay, you know, I want to lead magnet. I need something to actually capture these people that are coming to the site. And they want to make like, you know, this dramatic, um, like Star Wars-esque, you know, video. <laughs> it's like Avatar, right? right? Like James Cameron, 14 years in the making. Right? And it's just like going to be so dynamic. And like, guess what? It's something that never gets done. And, right. and that was the situation. I, I try to use myself as an example all the time. I was in that situation. I knew for a long time what a lead magnet was and that I needed one. But I just, you know, I had these things in my head I wanted to do, and they just never got done. And I went to a workshop for a weekend, and I just, you know, I said, by the time this weekend is over, I'll have a lead magnet in place on our website. And it won't be the perfect thing, uh -huh. but it'll just be the thing that's done, the thing that's complete yeah. until done. I can make that perfect thing. Right. Um, so what I actually did is I, I went home that night. It was a, the first day was on Saturday, so I went home Saturday night. I went in with my favorite place, right, Google Analytics. Uh -huh. And I looked at our top five articles and I pulled together our top five articles into a Word document, uh, made an made a ebook cover for it, saved it as a PDF. And then we started delivering that as five things you, you must know about marriage. And I said, I'm just going to have this up for like a month or so until I get the real lead magnet into place. Right. And the funny thing is, it took me a year to actually get the real lead <laughs> magnet into place. But over the course of that year, we captured 10,000 email addresses. Right, which is huge. Which is which was huge for us because before that our list may have been like four or five hundred people. Yep. So we captured ten thousand email addresses off of something basic, something that was just temporary, yep. but something that I just went ahead and got it done. Yep. And I stopped waiting. I stopped waiting for the perfect thing. I stopped waiting for a video crew. I stopped waiting for you know the, the awesome graphics team and just made something that I could finish, that I could complete, that I could offer to my readers that still provided value to them. They still loved it and allowed me to just take the next step. Maybe not jump from step one to step 10, but get from step one to step two and, and begin the journey. That's so huge because, again, you're building relationships with people, right? You're building that audience. Um, you're serving their needs. So what other big challenges did you come across? We talked about just getting up and running. Then we talked about building and growing your audience. Then we talked about Facebook kind of shutting you down. You having to build your list uh, that you were before. You were dependent on ad revenue, and now you got your own products, and now you got your own email list. And, yeah, you've got a following, huge following on Facebook, but you're kind of smarter and wiser. You've got all these lead magnets out there. Were there any other big challenges that you've had to cut or milestones that you had to cross as you kind of developed as an entrepreneur? 
Sure, they, they definitely were, right? I uh, talked, I touched like briefly on a few of them. So, you know, it was the whole thing with, you know, like really stop trying to focus so much on the brands and the agencies and focusing more on our actual readers, right? And serving them better and then starting to generate products and services that serve them and it helped them meet their challenges and meet their needs, like I said, which gave us much greater control over how much we made when we made it. It was no longer worrying about, you know, um, uh, ad agency that was working, they're working with their fiscal year for whatever brand ends in June and they ran out of money for this year's budget. So it doesn't start back up until July, August, like all these other things that other companies are going with impacted us until we started to really focus on just selling directly to consumer, directly to our customers. Mm. Something else that we really had to to work on shifting our mindset around was since we started, we didn't start as online marketers. We really started just as bloggers and as content creators. And we really had to get that free thing out of our mind mm. because what happened happened is, you know, we built this website, right? And it was getting, you know, tens of thousands of readers and hundreds of thousands of readers. And it was great, but we really didn't pay anything to get those people. And then we built this Facebook page. And, um, you know, I remember we started the Facebook page. I told my wife, we actually started when we released our very first documentary. And it was one month before our uh, first screening. And I told my wife, I said, look, I'm going to set up a Facebook page. I'm engaged with the people every day. I'm going to post great content. But I want to set the expectation that these things just don't blow up overnight. So I said, hey, um, you know, I'm going to try to get 700 people on that Facebook page in the first 30 days. That's my goal. And in the first 30 days, we had 7,000 people. That's awesome. So, I mean, the thing took off. We quickly hit, you know, our first 100,000 people. Then we kept going to 200,000. But in the early days, I didn't pay for any of that on Facebook. That was all organic as well. So really like another huge milestone in our business was the first time I really started doing paid traffic mm. and, and paid advertising. And immediately what I did, I mean, the very first time I really put money behind paid advertising was for one of our documentary films. I did some uh, Facebook ads to push directly to a sales page. Um, you know, where we sold the film and, and it changed our business. I mean, we went from selling where organically we may have been selling maybe like five, five or six kind of like DVDs. Or we had like another uh, item that was actually a pack of our DVDs. So it was like, like four DVDs bundled together. We might've been selling like, you know, five or six a day to where we started doing paid advertising. And we instantly went from like five a day to 25 or 30 of those packs every day, just based off Facebook. Wow. So, I mean, when you talk about like flipping the switch, it like literally flipped the switch and and totally changed like a huge, a huge part and segment of our business. Coca-Cola, everyone knows them throughout the world. Do they still do paid advertising? Yep, that's (laughs) right. McDonald's, everyone knows them throughout the world. Like, I don't think you have to go somewhere and explain to somebody what McDonald's is, whether you hate them or love them. Do they still do paid advertising? Right. Yep. You know, I mean, so I said, you know, if McDonald's and, and Coca-Cola and all these people have to spend money to get in front of the consumer in order to drive consumers back into the business, then what made me think that I didn't have to do the same thing? Right. And, and when I caught a hold of that, I mean, instantly is one of those things, again, it really changed the trajectory of our business. That's awesome. That's huge. And I love how you brought that up because it's a really important thing. I mean, the the core of every business, I mean, they say that every six years, a business will have an entirely new customer base. Of course, it depends on your industry, but as a rule of thumb, in six years, every business will have a completely fresh customer base. And so the whole point of a business, you know, at least I see with a lot of my clients in that, especially the new ones that are struggling, they launch, they launch their family and friends, and then they get so busy delivering on the products and services their family and friends have bought, they're not out trying to meet any new people. You know, and there's a, it's a two edged thing. You got to bring new blood in, but you got to keep the blood that you got. You got to keep the people that are there. You have to build a community, you know, that's there. But at the same time, if you only have 10 people, it can only go down. You have to do something and be doing something to meet other people elsewhere. And the other thing I love that you talked about um, with paid media that I also feel too is when you're spending money on advertising, you get really clear on like, what am I trying to spend this money for? Whereas yes. you can sit as a content creator and create content for years and never really think, <laughs> right? And never really yep. have that like that bullseye like i'm driving traffic to this offer you know like that you know this is what it's all about but when you're spending money on it it becomes really clear as a bell and i would encourage any listeners that's thinking about it if you are going to dabble in paid traffic if you haven't yet to think of it as you would like a sales rep you hired for your business you wouldn't expect a sales rep to go out and make sales the very first day on the job right you expect that it have to be some sort of learning prog like learning curve and some sort of you know like feeling out process if you've never had a sales rep before they may not even know what 
what to say or how to say or how to figure it out. So you just have to recognize that, that it, you know, it's not going to be successful right out the hop, uh, right out the gate, but that it is an investment and it's a, it's a very worthwhile investment and you have to treat it like you would as if you were training an employee. So, because like you just said there, like you just went and we were talking about this earlier, inbound versus outbound marketing. Inbound marketing is great. You want to be putting it content out there. You want to be building your brand and building your reputation and delivering great stuff, but it's not scalable. That's what you yeah. just said, Lamar, based on what you and said. It's, it's not as scalable as it is the outbound marketing that if, you know, you went from selling five to six DVD bundles a day to 25 to 30 per day, that is almost life-changing money. You know, if you had a successful business when you were selling five to six exactly. DVD bundles a day and now you're selling 25 to 30, that's like a five-fold increase on your income. And that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what it was. And then really that gave us the revenue to start doing different things that we had never been doing in the business before. Mm. Right. Um, and, and it just, you know, it, it really just a lot of it, like a lot of when I look at the big milestones, they weren't so much um, milestones when, you know, we got some, you know, fancy new tool or we did something different. Most of them were mindset shifts. And, and that's what, you know, people always say, well, there are no shortcuts. Like there definitely are shortcuts. And the shortcut is getting with someone that knows more than you do that's already been along that path. And, and that's the beautiful part about what we see today with what technology is, is they can listen to a podcast like yours, right? Where you have like like some of the hugest captains of, of industry when it comes to marketing, when it comes to sales. And, you know, you don't have to kind of just bump your head and kind of go along the path the way that I know we did early on. Right. And, and, and now whenever we need that help, not only do we equip ourselves with tools like this, but then we go hire consultants, we go hire coaches, things that we didn't do early on. But if we had, it really would have um, shortened the amount of time it took us to reach real success instead of, you know, the first six, seven years. I mean, there's a really simple formula. I think I just posted this uh, on my Facebook yesterday, but this is something I got in part just from figuring it out. And uh, part of this is Tony Robbins as well. I heard this from him and I've heard this from a few other people, but it's a really simple formula on how to become the expert and succeed at anything. You know, first, if you don't know anything, you get some of the books, right? Like you said, you had to figure it out on your own. So you read yep. some of the, the basic books, so you learn the fundamentals, but then you find it's you know five people who are top experts in the world at it and you interview them exclusively like extensively and that's like what you're saying like now you find them and you just hire them right you just what do i need to give you so i can sit down and just pick your brain for 20 minutes and then you figure out the simplest commonalities between these people that you've hired or the people that you're interviewing or the people you've reached out to to talk to and you just do those simple things over and over and over and over and over again until you've mastered it and that's really a simple way i mean it sounds like to you like there's no shortcuts but there really is none of us when we leave the house have to go repave the road we're going to drive on none of us have to go and rebuild the car like somebody else did it and you know why not benefit from that <laughs> right that's totally right so i i think that's a really valid point and that that is a huge mindset shift because i think when you're first starting out at least a lot of the mistakes i some people i see making is they they look at the the expenses they make in their business the wrong way you know it's often thought of as an expense versus an investment when you're mm. buying paid traffic it's an investment you're you're learning what the buy buttons are for your community you're building data like you said for you you have a life-changing like it was a business life-changing uh breakthrough when you finally got paid media to work right so that's an investment when you hire these coaches and consultants it's an investment because you're just going to shorten the learning curve you don't need to refigure out the wheel you're just going to almost like add on or plug in or just inject this knowledge into your business and then start performing better so that's excellent. That's so excellent. So, Lamar, obviously, you like you said, you do help out other people, a lot of people that are trying to leave their nine-to-five jobs and get into uh, being an entrepreneur. Do you see a lot of mistakes these people are making when they're trying to get up and running, when some people are trying to get something off the ground and going? Yeah, you know, I, I definitely do. And it's funny because kind of just on the heels of what you were just saying, I think one of the biggest issues I see is people not really going all in. Right. And, and playing full in. Like I see a lot of people, uh, especially when they're first starting something off, they kind of are um, tipping their toes in the water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like as you will, like kind of at the pool and I'm just putting my toes in to see what the temperature is. But what we really learn is that in order to really launch a business, like you have to go all in. You have to have mm-hmm. a time commitment. It has to be a financial commitment. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and you just have to really have all of your resources behind, okay, I'm going to make this thing work. Right. Um, so I, I would definitely say that's one of the, the, the biggest issues that I see. The other is is that, you know, I don't think enough emphasis is really put on learning how to sell. Mm. So, you know, I meet so many entrepreneurs who have a great product or a great service. They know it in and out. They're passionate about it. But um, they just don't know how to sell what it is. <laughs> you know, so I think there's almost like a disconnect between that, you know, place between I'm making this great widget and how do I get somebody to actually buy that widget? Uh-huh. 
<laughs> and, and, you know, the fact that, okay, in order for your business to succeed, for your business to keep moving forward, there has to be revenue coming in the door. Right. And, you know, the more money you make, the more people you can help. Yep. Um, so really just, just, you know, emphasizing that. I mean, one of the, the things we really had to look at is when the business grew enough that we were able to leave our nine to five jobs, you know, in our office, our home office at the time, on our whiteboard, we had written, you know, what are we doing to make money today? Like we have to like every day be doing something that is intentional. It just can't be by happenstance, you know, a contract comes in or somebody buys some of the products. Like what are we doing on purpose to make money today and something that we're doing in the immediate short term so that, you know, cash is hitting the account now in the in immediate term and in the long term. You know, what are we building so that, you know, a year from now, two years from now, the money that we make is building and growing and the amount of revenue that we do um, is, is tripling and, and doubling and things like that. Mm, mm, I love that. Yeah. What are we doing to make money today? There's something, there's present bank and future bank. So what are you doing to make some money today? And what are you building in to bring some money in tomorrow? And how do yeah. you work them both into the same day calendar? As you know, I mean, you could get so busy, mm -hmm. especially when you're just starting out, especially mm -hmm. when you don't have a team, like when it's just you or, you know, maybe just like one or two or two or three of you. Mm -hmm. You can get so so busy trying to manage so many of the day-to-day -day tasks of running a business that you forget the most important task, which is bringing in money so that the business can continue to operate. Right. So, right. I mean, like I said, you have to be intentional um, in that part of the process. And learning how to sell is a really important one. And I think a lot of people get tripped up on the sales part because they have, the, like you said, it's not, they have the wrong mindset about yes. it. You know, like it's a, it's, they think that they're taking, they feel guilty, they're concerned that, you know, maybe they're not in a great financial situation. So they like imprint that on the other person. You know, I've had people, I remember I went to sell a pa uh, send them package and I wanted it there the very next day. And the guy at the counter was trying to talk me out of it. Well, no, no, if you just pay this, <laughs> it's like, th you know, it's a third, it's 30% of the cost. And it'll still get there in five days. And I'm like, yeah, but you don't get it. I need it there tomorrow. It's worth it to me. Like, don't stop trying to put your money issues on me. Just let me get what I need. And so that's the same sort of thing. And if anyone feels they face that, again, just focus on, I, again, it come, kind of comes back to what we talked about at the beginning, uh, you know, creating content your audience wants and needs and really just diving in and fo looking at like, what are people focused on? What are they sharing? What are they talking about? What are they telling you in the surveys? You know, and just come from it kind of from the angle that if, you know, almost like if you had the cure for arthritis, would you feel bad about talking to someone suffering from arthritis and being like, hey, you should really try this. That's probably a good tip too. Um, you know, don't necessarily try to sell people on something. Ask them to try, not necessarily to buy, you know, because even if you don't have a money back guarantee in your business, you can kind of force, be forced to have one. I think most countries and states and provinces have some sort of rule around some sort of buyer's yeah. remorse period. So always just ask them to try instead of to buy. It makes it a little bit less pressurous, but at the same time, you can still be very um, upfront with how, like, in, I don't want to say insistent, but just like, look, if you have this problem, you really need to try this out. And you wouldn't have any guilt if your parent or your child was suffering and they give medicine they didn't want to take it you wouldn't be like i don't want to be too pushy you'd be like just take the damn medicine like take it you hey, would be it. that stern but loving parent and i think that's a really important mindset shift for people to take it is you know and it's, it's a few quick things about that right like yeah. most entrepreneurs i meet like they really feel like what it is that they're providing will really help that other person so i really just get to really emphasize on the fact that okay if you can get this in the hands of other people it oftentimes can be something that can change their lives. Yep. I mean, not every product is a life-changing product. Yep. You know, I don't think a Beanie Baby changes somebody's life. Right. Maybe it does. I don't know for the Beanie Baby lovers. <laughs> but, but, you know, I mean, a lot of people have things that really can help people's lives. So if they really just, just put the emphasis on that, like not I feel like I'm some type of sleazy salesman, but mm -hmm. if I can get this in their hands, it'll change their lives. Yep. That helps. The other thing is that you know, often say that people have money for the things they want to have money for. Uh -huh. So yes. you, you, can, you can't make the this. assumption that, hey, you know, they won't pay for this or they don't have the money for that when that same person is spending, you know, $300 a month out eating out. Mm -hmm. Or that same person has like the premium cable package. Yep. You know, I mean, yep. so so many times, you know, we would uh, I'd be speaking at a conference to a group of entrepreneurs and our business can, you know, be, be bringing in a lot more money than a lot of people in the room. But I'm probably driving the plainest car out of anyone in the room. Right. right? right. <laughs> so they're driving like the brand new big body Mercedes Benz with this yep. and, and TVs and headrest and all yep. these other things. I mean, people have money for what they want to have money for. And something I learned when I was young, when I was in college. Um, I, I, I applied, you know, saw an ad in the newspaper or, you know, you can make up to $20 an hour for college kids. I didn't know what I was doing, right? So I went in to this interview 
And we was what the actual company did is we sold knives, like kitchen knives. Okay. And um, we went out and we would have to like work with our warm list of customers. Then we went out from those people and then they would have to refer us to other people. And I would go in someone's home and the top knife kit was a $500 set, a set called the Homemaker. Okay. And it went down to maybe like a set of like four steak knives, maybe like $75, uh, $80. Okay. And what I realized is that with a great presentation, they told us how to sell it. They told us what to do, how to go through step by step. With a great presentation, I probably was able to close, you know, 25, 30% of the people on a $500 set of knives. Mm. And you better believe when I walked into any of these people's house, nobody was thinking by the time he leaves, I'm (laughs) going to buy $500 worth of steak knives for my kitchen. Um, But again, it just showed me, okay, you know, when people see the value in something, when they see that something can help their life, when they see that something can save them money in the long run, and when they see that something is quality, they are willing to invest in. Yep, that's so true. Yeah, people have always have money, and you can't judge people either. You can't judge people. I remember back when I had my martial arts school, I had a guy pay for uh, like a lifetime membership, and I remember he was showing up in the rattiest shirt and shorts. Like I think his like his genitals were almost showing because he was so ragged. And I thought (laughs) I honestly thought the guy was almost near homeless. And he did, you know, he signed up for a month. He same thing. You kept showing up the grubbiest clothes you've ever seen. You know, I thought well, I, I, I didn't have to, but I was concerned I might have to talk to this guy about hygiene and showering before class and stuff. Like just to give you a kind of paint a picture of like the look and feel this guy kind of had coming to the martial arts classes. And sure enough, at the end of the 30 days, he gets an email asking, you know, how serious he is and if he's interested in, you know, and sure enough, he shows up and pays for a lifetime membership. People, you just can't, you can't, you never know. You never you know. Yeah. So don't, don't yeah. just let people you know let it's, it's let them make their own decisions they're adults they're you know or they're they even if they're not an adult you know if you sell the kids it's, wait i gotta be careful what i say here but at the same time you know if you truly sell something that benefits someone's life it's up to them to decide whether they need it or not not you so it, it totally i can't tell you how many times i walked into a, a car dealership ready to buy and no one walked up to me because i had on jeans yeah you know tennis shoes and yeah, a t-shirt it didn't look like money Exactly. I like ready to like, I'm ready to buy. I know what I want. I've looked it up online. I'm ready to purchase. And you know, everybody's acting like they got other things going on until somebody else walks in yep. and I walk out, you know, with my money in my pocket. Yep. So yep. That's, know, that's a great point. I really noticed that too. Cause in a lot of sports and athletics, like I'm, I'm a CrossFitter now, I, like I said, I mentioned martial arts before. I noticed that when people were new in the martial art, they were always inflating how long they've been training. They're always like extending it and embellishing the details <laughs> a little bit. And the guys that have been doing it for a while, they're always doing the exact opposite. Be like, oh, I've been doing it for a few years. You know, I've been training for a while. A guy's got like 15 years <laughs> under his belt. And the same thing at CrossFit. You see some guy, you're like, dude, you are jacked. How long have you been doing this? You're like, oh, you know, a couple of years, you know, whatever, maybe five years. You're like, whoa, little guys, you know, how long have you been here? You'd be like, eight months, eight months, seven days. Like they are like to the point. Like I've got so much experience. <laughs> and I think it's the same thing like that. You know, like I think a lot of the people, they don't necessarily want the tension, you know, they don't want, like that's what I've heard a lot of my friends even say, like, we don't want the fame. We just want the money because you just, yep. you know, there can be negative attention that comes with that. So that's true. So do you feel that anything was ever holding you back a mindset or some sort of skill that you needed to develop? I mean, it might've been something we already covered, but just, do you ever, do you feel that? Do you feel that there was something that limited you in any way? And that once you kind of broke through that or learned that skill, it was, it was game over. You know, uh, like I said, it definitely was some mindset shifts that we had to take and had to take place over the years. But like I said, if any, if I could go back and change anything, I probably would go back and just invest in, um, mentorship, invest in things like masterminds, coaching, consulting. I just would have did that a lot earlier. Mm. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like I said, there are a lot of years where I felt like we tried to reinvent the wheel and we tried to, you know, figure out ways to do things on our own when it really wasn't necessary. Mm. Mm. And, and, you know, like back then it was a little different because it wasn't, you know, Twitter and Facebook. And, and now you have uh, uh, such easy access to find out who the thought leaders are, how to follow them, how to get into a free program and then get into a paid program. So it would have took a little more work then than it does now. Right. I still say, like, if anything, you know, it just would have been connected with somebody sooner who could have just said, hey, you know, you want to grow your audience. You know, you don't have to do this. Just, you know, do some paid traffic. Right. Just do some more content partnerships. Um, you know, you want to increase revenue. Well, you know, it's not just like I said about bringing on new customers. You know, how can we get, you know, more upsells and downsells into your pipeline so that the customers that you have just spend more? Mm-hmm. So the customers that you have actually spend back and, and, and spend more often with you. 
Like yeah. those type of things that we learned, you know, years down the line, but I'm sure somebody could have just came and told us in one sitting, right? Right, right. <laughs> and, and, and just the, uh, like the lot of money we left on the table over the years of, of figuring that out on our own. Right, because all it can take is one idea. One idea. That's all can it takes. Be, like I've gone to conferences. I've spent thousands of dollars to go to a you know three day conference on a topic that I thought I already knew a lot about. Because I'm just looking for that one idea. That's all I need. I just need one idea. Because the other part that people have to get figure out is the you know it's not ideas. It's implementation that makes the money. You know. Yes. So if you can go and you do a coaching program or you spend some time with a mentor or again you do some sort of conference or seminar, you just get one thing that you can execute within the next thirty days that's going to increase your business. I mean, I've doubled businesses in my own business multiple times just because of one little tweak, right? So the hardest thing to get going is the momentum to get up and running. And I think that's part of why even you're saying like, you know, one of the biggest mistakes is people are not all in. They treat it like a hobby. They work on it, you know, an hour here, hour there. Oh, I'm going to put three hours in on the weekend. You know, if you really want it to be a business, it's, if you put full-time hours into it, it's going to be hard to fail. I know Elon Musk yes. talks about this and he's a huge advocate. He's a work, he's a self-proclaimed workaholic. And he's like, if you put in 90 to hundred hours, a week and your competitors are only doing 40, 50 hours a week, then in six months, you will do twice as much as your competitors. How can you fail? How can you fail if you're putting in twice as much work as everyone else, right? But it's really easy to fail if you're only putting in a third of what everyone else is doing. So I think that's a real thing. And of course, um, you can do the work um, you don't have to do the work, but that work can't not get done. So if you don't do it, somebody else has to do it, but that work can't not get done. And that is the power of building a team, which we also talk about a lot on the show. So Lamar, is there anything I didn't ask you that I should have asked you? No, I mean, you know, I, I think we, uh, we, we covered, you know, pretty much everything and, and, and touched on, you know, most of, most of the main parts of our story. And then, like I said, I know there are probably people listening that are, are, are in the process of trying to figure it out. So I think, uh, during the course of the conversation, I mean, this is this has been awesome. I think we definitely laid some things out that they can kind of take a hold of and go with. Oh, yeah, it was huge. I mean, we talked about just beginning with the end in mind. So if you wanted to be a business to do it straight up, that how an online business, how you can test small, how you're just creating content for your audience based on their want and needs, having a really focused audience, using things like uh, Google Analytics and figuring out you know page views and most shares. And even if it's not your content, look at your competitors and see what's being most shared on their site, what people are liking the most, what pages they're looking at the most. Surveying is huge because not only do you find out uh, what people want, but you can use learn the language that they're using, like you mentioned that, right? The words yep. uh, distressed couples are using is not the same as the technical term. Um, talked about using lead magnets, about not being platform dependent, about having a reason for someone to come to your home base and a reason for them to tell you who they are so you can stay in touch with them and build a relationship. Talked about the types of data that we want to use. We talked about using inbound and outbound marketing together, the power of paid traffic, mindset shifts like learning how to sell and waking up and going, what are we doing to make money today? day. I think those are all really, really, really beneficial lessons for the listeners. Again, if you've been listening to this, I recommend you listen to it once, twice, three times. You need to get all the juice out. Some other good uh, interviews would be something like Ryan Levesque's second interview or look up uh, Glenn Livingston. We did an interview with him. If you have more questions about surveys and stuff. And Lamar, you also have a Facebook group, right? You've got some resources for some of the people here on the show, don't you? Yeah, I totally do. We have a, a Facebook group called Traffic, Sales, and Profit with Lamar Tyler. So that's a totally free group and it's an amazing group of um, entrepreneurs that are there to like uplift and encourage, you know, uh-huh. uh, oftentimes we entrepreneurs that just aren't in a circle of other like-minded entrepreneurs. Uh-huh. And one of the quickest thing you find as entrepreneurs that the people you think will support you most oftentimes don't. Right. So you need people in your corner that are rooting for you, um, that are celebrating your wins, that are helping you with your challenges. And that's exactly what that group is. Traffic, uh-huh. sales and profit with Lamar Tyler. Yeah. And even just people that understand you, because here's the other thing is if yeah. you're starting a business, it's often a really lonely thing to do because if you have a local business, you know, like a local brick and mortar, say you're a dog trainer and you're in a small town or even a big city, you can't really go ask the other dog trainers you compete with, hey, what are you doing to get customers? You know, because they're not going to be like, oh, well, I'm doing this, this, this. Why don't you take all my business? They're not going to be open like that. And if you are a business owner and the rest, everyone else, your friends, your family, they're all employees. They're not going to understand the mindset. They're not going to see, you know, they're not going to see your vision. In fact, there's a great, I don't know if anyone here is religious or not, but there's a great quote and I love it. And it's, you know, don't expect others to see, uh, don't expect others to understand your grind when God didn't give them your vision. And I think that's mm. a really powerful one because the same thing, you can feel very isolated 
isolated in your home, in your fan, in your community, if you don't have a place to connect with other people. So I highly encourage it. I'm a part of that group. Um, Lamar obviously knows what he's talking about. So uh, what is it? Traffic and sales with Lamar. Traffic. Yeah. Traffic, sales, and profit with Lamar Tyler. Traffic, sales, and profit with Lamar Tyler. You can look that up on Facebook. Lamar, thank you so much for coming and sharing with us. Again, I know you could be with your wife or your kids or working on your business or doing a number of any other things. So thank you for coming and just sharing and not holding anything back and just really giving to the listeners. I really value and appreciate your time today. And it's always a good time when we talk. It always is a great time. And thanks for having me on. I I definitely uh, appreciate the time you set aside for this. And I'm just excited to help so many other entrepreneurs along their way. You've reached the end of our interview. Now, first, let me thank you for listening. I appreciate and respect you more than you'll ever know. And now I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. First, what three lessons did you just learn? What three aha moments just jumped out at you? Second, what can you implement for yourself and your business in the next 24 hours? Third, what can you give to someone else to help you with or give them to just do it for you? Whatever it is, remember taking action is the secret sauce to results. Now, if you think this interview would be helpful for a friend, please give them a link to it. It'll help them and it'll help me too. I'd also like to invite you to help me find out more about the challenges you're facing, your dreams, your goals, and how I can help you overcome what's holding you back. We both do better when we know better, and your success is my success. So please reach out and interact. You can visit our website, bestbusinesscoach.ca for Canada or California, where I'm from and where I'm living. You're welcome to also try out one of our paid programs. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, and pretty much every other social media channel you can think of. You should also subscribe to the podcast. And if you're enjoying them, please leave us a nice review. It really helps. That's all for now. Once again, thank you. Take care of yourself. And remember, the world needs the best business you can build. And I believe in you.